welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. Don't hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss... The easiest return ever, a personalized image strategy, and how to dig deep into your personal space and share it with the world. Cooks, photographers, and ditchers, oh my. We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? So this year on Amazon Prime Day, I decided to finally order a new set of pots and pans. Ooh la la, pots and pans, treat yourself to something special Well, on I Amazon do, Prime Day. I do like to cook. That's how Dan rolls people. He rolls hard. I mean, when this guy's ready to splurge, we're looking at pots and pans. Pots and pans, baby. Woo. I do like to cook and my pots and pans were really getting old and ragged. So I picked out a set of pots and pans that I really liked that were on a great sale for Amazon Prime Day. Ordered them up, waited my you know day and a half or whatever it was until they arrived. Such a is, long time. I know, terrible. And uh, I was so excited to uh, to open the box, and it's like a ten piece set. So it had um, a, a few, you know, two different size frying pans. It had a um, a pot, and then it had kind of like a, a double boiler kind of a thing. And there were, I believe, four different glass lids on top of these. Well. I'm opening the box and I'm pulling out the pieces and I see that one of the glass lids is completely shattered. I mean, a thousand and one pieces. And so I'm disappointed because that doesn't happen very often. And my first instinct was actually to call the manufacturer. So I'm looking on the box of this thing and like <laughs> it, like the box, it's like the copper pot company, but it's not even it's not even a trademark. Like it's right. some I don't know what brand it is. But meanwhile, there's absolutely no communication method at all. I Google it. And I why do we think that is? Could it be because they don't want you to contact them? It possibly hmm. is. I wonder. It possibly is. So I I literally cannot find this company. So I called Amazon. Now, what do you think, Joey? might have happened then. Well, this is a little bit of an unfair question because I have had my own experiences of uh, contacting Amazon about problems. But what I imagine you might have thought would happen is what would happen with the typical company. You would call them and they would say, well, wait a second, we're just the store. We're not the manufacturer. You need to contact the manufacturer. But, you know, it also could have broken in delivery. You should probably talk to UPS as well. It would have been a combination of the blame game of trying to point fingers at everyone else, or let's make it so impossible for you to do this 
that you're going to just give up. And what I mean by that is, great, so we're happy to take your return back. We're just going to need a signed certified letter saying that you received it. We're going to need three copies of your receipt. We're going to need to know the name of the driver and what he was wearing or she was wearing when they dropped it off. And we're going to need to know your social security number, what town you were born in, and the hospital uh, where you had your first checkup. <laughs> that's my guess is what most businesses require. Well, believe it or not, that's not what happened when I phoned Amazon. In fact, what happened was the woman did not know how to get in touch with the manufacturer either. Oh my goodness. So You she, know it's bad when Amazon, the king of the retail world online, can't get in touch with the manufacturer. Exactly. So what did she do? She said, you know what? I am going to refund your purchase in its entirety and why don't you just keep the pots and pans? And I thought to myself, A, that's amazing. B, she just made my problem go away because all of a sudden I didn't really care that I was missing a lid because I right, got free, right. pots, and free pans. pots and pans. <laughs> and so it was incredible because she literally turned me in a few moments from being kind of irritated at this purchase to once again believing that Amazon is the greatest company on this planet. Yeah, I what never ceases to amaze me. And Amazon is beautiful at this and I you know, we are big fans in our household as well. We do a lot of business with Amazon. They are probably dollar over dollar the single biggest uh business that we buy from. What Amazon realized very early on in the process was that long-term customer relationships matter. And they would much rather sacrifice a small amount of profit today to gain your loyalty long-term. They are brilliant at neutralizing negative experiences. They are brilliant at eliminating any type of hesitation or negative feeling you might have about them. I mean, at the end of the day, the negative feeling was probably more directed at the manufacturer and or the shipper because our presumption is it either got broken in route or it was broken when it was packaged. It wasn't broken by Amazon, but what do they do? It's not their fault, but they make it their problem and then they solve the problem. Absolutely. And uh, and I couldn't be mad at the company because I couldn't find the company. You couldn't find the company. Exactly. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I mean, that is the way you handle a customer problem. And Joey's right that, you know, sure, they had to eat some money. Although my guess is they have a process to bill it back to the uh, the manufacturer. But either way, they had to eat something, but it kept me a very happy customer that is going to come back and back. And this reminds me of another story. Um, when we had our first child, somebody sent us flowers in the hospital from a really great company called Pro Flowers, which is my personal favorite place to order flowers as well. And Pro Flowers ships uh, flowers in a long box, and they always include a free vase. So you get a you get a a, a glass vase with every shipment, and I. Uh, opened the uh, box of flowers and maybe let me guess just a let habit. me guess the vase was broken the vase was shattered you know Absolutely. this couldn't be recipient error at any point <laughs> in this story could it you know this is one of those where dan's opening the box and he's going there just whoop butterfingers it falls off his hand oh man it arrived broken how did that happen no this is not user error but thanks for suggesting that and um, I did, I pulled out the flowers, and honestly, I didn't care about the vase because we had got we'd used Pro Flowers enough times that I had like ten of them at home. But I decided to call them because, as a customer experience guy, I thought they should.
should know that the flowers arrived with a broken vase. I mean, Healing I, I would, the world of customer experience, one call at a time. Exactly. I can tell you I would have wanted to know that as yes, a business owner. Yes, of course. And so I called up, and it was actually a hilarious conversation. The woman is like, Mr. Gingis, step away from the flowers. And I'm like, no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I've, I've safely removed them. She's like, no, I don't want you to get cut. I want you to throw the whole thing out, and we're going to send you new flowers. And I said, seriously, it's all right. I pulled out the flowers and I just wanted you to know I'm not asking you for anything. Well, P.S., the conversation goes back and forth. And essentially what I got her to do was send me replacement flowers two weeks later when the first ones were dead. (laughs) And she more than happily obliged, which I thought was terrific. But again, in that story, too... What I loved about it was, number one, she's focused on the issue at hand, which is it's a potentially dangerous situation if you're sitting among, you know, glass shards and she doesn't want uh, the company to be responsible for that. So she's concerned for my safety. And then secondly, it's not even a question it's either we're going to refund your money or we're going to resend you the product again. And it, it doesn't – they don't ask you 900 questions to make sure you're not lying about it or whatever it is. It's just their nature, their initial instinct is to fix the problem. And I think that is really the hallmark of a great customer service interaction. Isn't it amazing – When somebody that we've decided to do business with, we've decided to give our hard-earned cash over to, decides to give us the benefit of the doubt, decides to see us as upstanding citizens, which is a lot easier to do when you're looking at Dan Gingas than when you're looking at Joey Coleman. But nonetheless, it is impressive. Let me ask two clarifying questions, Dan. So how far out are we from Prime Day now? How many months has it been, give or take? As we're recording right now, it's about, uh, I think, two months ago. It's about two months ago. And how long since you received those Pro Flowers flowers? Uh, That is like 13 years ago. 13 years ago, yeah. So here's the point I wanted to make with that. If you create a remarkable experience that catches your customer off guard, that leaves your customer going, that was easy, that was painless, they will keep telling the story. When you go above and beyond, when a customer has a problem, they will love you even more, despite the fact that something had gone wrong, despite the fact that there was a negative experience. So folks, here's the key takeaway. Stop worrying about today's dollars. Start worrying about the lifetime value dollars. Stop worrying about what are we going to do with this negative experience and start thinking about how am I going to build a long-term customer relationship. The secret here is to just treat your customers as if they were your friends. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Help them out. Do for them what you wish would be done for you and everything else will take care of itself. And remember, without customers, we don't have a business. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. So I found this story on Twitter. You see, Joey, Twitter does have its advantages. You know, you say that time and time and time again. I'm not doing the tweeting. 
I'm not getting on the Twitters. Well, believe it's it or not, not I've happen. given up trying to get you to. <laughs> Folks, that's not true. That's not true. You need to know this. So there's a behind the scenes. About once a month, Dan will message me. Maybe it's more like once every two or three months. And he'll say something like, hey, by the way, see you haven't posted in a while. If you wanted to go on today and post. And I'm just like, maybe or maybe not. So if you want to talk to us about the show on Twitter, <laughs> only talk please, to Dan. Don't please. you can tag me and every once in a while, like once a year, I'll come in and like a comment. But just Dan, Dan is the social media go to on the experience of this show. That's at D Gingis, D-G-I-N-G-I-S-S. Anyway, Twitter user Rex Sorgats. That's a great name. It is a great name. So he posted a series of 18 consecutive tweets where, well, he kind of dissected the experience like we do here on this show. And the experience he was looking at was logging into his bank's website. Now, he spent way too much time on this, but it was really interesting to see the results. So let me set this up for you. So his first tweet is about how he logged into his Chase Bank account, and he noticed that the background photo was of his neighborhood. And he's like, whoa, that's kind of interesting. So it caused him to wonder, does everybody see this photo? And he then says, this thread is an investigation into that question. Let's call it bank stock photo regionalization. Now, the long and short of it is he first found that in the URL of the landing page, there was a zip code, his zip code. And so he changed the zip code to, I believe he went for da na 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 Da, na, 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 90210, and he saw that the picture changed to one in California. He looked at LA, San Francisco, San Diego, and he noticed that all of the images were of neighborhoods, not of well-known locations. So when you went to San Francisco, you weren't seeing the Golden Gate Bridge, you were seeing a neighborhood. And when you went to Chicago, my hometown, you see a, st- a street corner underneath an L train. And not really, you know, you don't see the, the Sears or Willis Tower or Navy Pier or anything like that. He then noticed that in the URL, there was also the word day. And so he went in and changed the word day to night and saw a whole new set of images. And so he realized that Chase was also taking into account when you came to this landing page and showing you a different neighborhood photo, either in the daytime or at night. So four or five tweets in, he says, oh, here's a glitch. He found out that Alaska, Hawaii, and New England all have the same photo during the day, but a different photo at night. Which Those places totally look the same <laughs> totally. during the day. Exactly. Totally. Uh, now, some states, also entire states, had the same photos. Um, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Indiana, Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, Oklahoma, basically the entire Midwest. I take this um, as a personal <laughs> affront. As a native Iowan, when I typed in my parent's zip code, which is in northwestern Iowa, I saw a picture of a windmill, which I know exists, but it exists in southeastern Iowa, not Northwestern Iowa. So I recognized it. It's a popular scene. It's just not associated with the zip code. Exactly. So we're going to include a link in the show notes so that you can go play around with this yourself. Or if you're so inclined, you can go to bit.ly.com slash capital E, capital T, capital C, H-A-S-E. So that's E-T Chase, E.T. being experience this. But we'll include that in the show notes, and you can go play around. And the last thing that he um, uh, that he figured out was uh, that there that these were not stock 
photos and that Chase had actually commissioned the photographers. And I have no idea how he did this, but he got a hold of the creative brief that Chase actually used. And it's really interesting. It talks about particular brand attributes. So their personalities about being trustworthy and welcoming and progressive and contemporary. And uh, the visuals are supposed to be authentic and optimistic and uh, engaging. Uh, and they talk about the, the photography style. And then there's a list of um, places to avoid, which I thought was also really interesting. They didn't want pictures of memorials or universities or religious buildings or sports stadiums. And I, again, I think the whole idea is, is that you're not supposed to know the exact place where this is uh, being taken, that, that it, it's intentionally not the most popular places. And then finally, somebody else, after seeing this long um, Twitter not a rant, but uh, a, a set expose. of an expose actually then created a map listing uh, the seven regional default photos and then the 39 different day and night pictures. There's 39 days and 39 nights um, and, and put them on a map so that you know just by looking at the map what picture you're going to see. That's a lot of free time. It is a that lot feels of free like time. a lot of free time. Well, here's the thing. I will say, first of all, I actually, you know, ladies and gentlemen, brace yourselves. I see the benefit of something Dan found on Twitter because this is an interesting story, right? This is a great example of a company thinking about customization to match their personalization. Here's what I mean by that. I think of customization and personalization as being two different things. Personalization is using the person's name, using the individual identifiers about them. Customization is using identifiers and themes and interactions that are about a smaller segment of your group or they identify where your customer is in the journey. So what's interesting is when I type in the old zip code for where I used to live in Washington, D.C., as Dan alluded to, I was expecting before knowing these were the rules that I would see a picture of the Washington Monument or the Lincoln Memorial or the White House or the Capitol or some of the iconic imagery of Washington, D.C., but I didn't live on the mall next to the monuments. I lived in a neighborhood in northwestern D.C. And what I actually got a picture of was the local park. And I know it's the local park because I'd been to that park many times. Now, it's not a park that anyone in the world would know if you didn't live in that neighborhood. And so I think what this does is by putting the image behind the, uh, the login screen is it gives a very subconscious connection and familiarity. And at the end of the day, all humans are looking to feel connection. They're looking to feel familiarity. And if a large bank like Chase can do this at scale, that changes the game for how people think about their banking relationships. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think especially in this industry, if you think about it, all of the major banks are based in New York. And so they all have sort of the New York skyline as their background. You also probably have recognized over time that almost every bank uses blue as its main color. It's sort of a financial color, right? So it it becomes harder to stand out. And I think that 
from a marketing perspective, this is great for Chase because it does make them unique. And when you get to that website and you see this beautiful image as a background, that's not what you necessarily expect from a financial institution. It it kind of reminds you that you are banking with somebody different. Now, I think that's uh, that was one of the things that I really liked. And obviously, this guy, um, who does have a lot of time on his hands, was clearly fascinated by it. But I love that he was able to dig all this up so that we can understand what went into it. I think it'd be interesting, too, to look at the footprint of Chase Bank geographically. I wonder if they're not, they don't have as big of a presence in the Midwest. And that's why there's more, you know, it might be that when they were putting together the Creative Brief, because I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. This is a really interesting and fun idea. It might have been that they don't have branches or they don't have a lot of customers in Alaska and Hawaii, for example. So it was easier for them to do that. What I'd be curious about, do you know, Dan, is it basing the zip code off of where you're logging in from or the zip code on your account? So for example, if I'm traveling, would it show me if I was logging into my Chase account from a hotel in Florida, pictures of Florida, or would it show the pictures from my home account in Colorado? That'd be interesting to figure out too. Yeah, I'm not sure. I would guess that um, it's probably based on the location of your computer and then there's a cookie and you would get that same one over and over again. Um, but I'm not entirely sure how it That'd works. be kind of an interesting way. So the, mo- the reason I ask this question, folks, is at the end of the day, every experience you create, you can enhance it you can plus it, you can take it to the next level. So maybe the first pass would do these personalized images based on your region. Maybe the next pass is to tie it to where you are because in an increasingly mobile society, people are logging in from all over and it'd be kind of interesting if it was identifying that I was in a completely different state when I was accessing my bank account. Yeah, and I mean, obviously this could get scary, right? Because Google um, Earth has you know basically photos of every house and whatever. And in theory, please don't show me my house when I log into the bank account. I would really rather you not. So thanks. Don't share those photos with them, Google. Exactly. But here, the takeaway here is that personalization and customization can help customers feel closer to the brand. It makes them feel that you're listening to them and that you know them and it builds trust. And really, uh, as one of our uh, mutual friends likes to say, we are all in the trust business. And uh, I believe that this is a kind of thing that really any organization can pull off either digitally or even in your written communications. Sometimes all it takes is a single question to get your company thinking about an improved customer experience. Here's an idea for how you can start the conversation. This week's Start the Conversation topic is Gauging Customer Experience Effectiveness, KPIs that matter. And of course, KPIs are key performance indicators. When attempting to gauge the effectiveness of an experience program, Many leaders focus on specific metrics, including sales numbers or customer acquisitions. Others rely on logistics-based metrics, such as issue resolution times or call volume, things in the call center. Now, these are important metrics, but other numbers are just as critical, including things like customer effort score or CES, net promoter score or NPS, and customer satisfaction or CSAT. These customer-focused metrics will likely reveal more about the effectiveness of a CX program than the financial or operational ones. Here are four things to consider when gauging customer experience effectiveness. Number one, not all metrics are created equal. 
you have to use the ones that work for your business. Number two, ensure both quantitative and qualitative analysis of the customer experience. Number three, customer experience should lead to better business results, so make sure you can draw a clear connection. And number four, if you're going to use all of these KPIs, be careful that you don't walk yourself into an acronym nightmare where your staff doesn't understand what you're actually talking about when you say CES, NPS, CSAT, or KPI. Exactly, and uh, to put it another way, I remember when I was in corporate America that I got report overload all the time. You open up your email and there's all these reports and everybody wants to make a report because they feel like that by having a report, it somehow justifies what they're doing to uh, management. But the thing is, is that it doesn't end with just the report of the numbers. It's about analyzing and understanding what the numbers mean and taking action off of them. And so I always found that it was more important to look for action-oriented data rather than just a report that is able to say, hey, this is great. And now for this week's question about gauging customer experience effectiveness. Are we focused on the right metrics when determining the success of our CX programs? We encourage you to start the conversation within your own organization and then continue it with Avtex at experienceconversations.com. Remember, go to experienceconversations.com. We spend hours and hours nose deep in books. We believe that everything you read influences the experiences you create. So we're happy to answer our favorite question. What are you reading? So I found a book that I thought would really lead to an interesting conversation in our What Are You Reading segment. Now, I met Ryan Foland first at Social Media Marketing World earlier this year and then again at Inbound, where we were both speakers. He's a great guy. Um, he is uh, of the red-haired variety, and so he loves to refer to himself as a ginger. <laughs> And uh, I love that the bald guy is commenting on the ginger. Well, hey, he calls himself a ginger, right? Uh, but he's a terrific guy. He's smart. He's really funny. And uh, Joey, of course, you will love this. He is a ridiculously prolific tweeter. You oh, think I tweet that's a lot. why I haven't come across Ryan yet. Oh, sorry, Ryan. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'll look forward to meeting in person since I'll never see you on. The yeah, you think I tweet a lot. Anyway, Ryan is also a coach who uh, helps leaders worldwide on the art of simplifying spoken and written messaging for greater impact. He's the inventor of what he calls the 313 method, which is a process whereby pitches begin as three sentences, condense into one sentences, and then boil down to three words. And he has a brand new book out with co-author Leonard Kim. It's about building a personal brand. And it's called Ditch the Act, Reveal the Surprising Power of the Real You for Greater Success. So I asked Ryan to tell us a little bit about it. Ditch the Act is a book that I wrote with Leonard Kim. It's a deep dive into why and how you should build an authentic personal brand. Now you may be asking yourself, why should I build a personal brand? <laughs> Let me actually ask you a better question. Why shouldn't you build a personal brand? If you do not want to make deep connections with your employees and your colleagues in the office, then you don't need to have a personal brand. 
if you have to re-enter the job market in the future, and if you want to spend months, if not years, to land a new job, then don't worry about having a personal brand either. A personal brand helps you form deeper connections with people online and offline, and it's able to move you ahead in your career. Whether that's an internal promotion at your company, whether it's paving the way up the C-suite, getting sought out by a competing company for better pay, landing the job of your dreams, or just making sure that your career becomes recession-proof. Building a personal brand isn't limited to one specific type of person. We show you it can work for anyone. Ditch the Act demonstrates how exposing your failures and your weaknesses is an essential element to creating an authentic personal brand. We'll show you how ditching the act and getting vulnerable is the best way to differentiate and grow your brand, all while cultivating brand loyalty. Ditch the Act will teach you how to bring your intentional personal brand to life. Here is the deal, let me give it to you real. The key to connection is to learn to reveal. You see, you are not perfect and neither am I. And that is the exact reason we can see eye to eye. Everybody's different, but we are all the same. To be perfectly imperfect is how you win the game. If you only showcase good and do not share the bad, you will miss connections that you never knew you had. Ugh. And that, my friends, is a wrap. Yes, folks, he raps too. He's even been known to do it on stage during his keynotes. I want to see you rap in your next keynote, Dan. Uh, Challenge. Gauntlet thrown down, ladies and gentlemen. We will post the video later on experiencethisshow.com. Hey, I do sing in my keynote every once in a while, but rap is probably not happening. Anyway, the reason I chose this book to talk about on the show is that, Joey, you and I, though we get along famously, have really different strategies for building our own personal brands. And so I was hoping that we might do as Ryan and Leonard say and ditch the act for a few minutes and talk openly about how we go about our personal branding. Mumi and Terrasante. All right, I'm in. Uh, Who's starting, you or me? You, sir. Okay, so personal branding is something that I've thought a decent amount about for two main reasons. Number one, my career path has been incredibly eclectic. For those of you that know me or who are loyal listeners, I worked in the intelligence community. I worked in the White House. I was a teacher. I was a criminal defense lawyer. I sold promotional products. I ran an ad agency. Now I'm a full-time speaker. And so one of the challenges when you can't hold a job, I mean when you change careers as frequently as I do, is that your personal brand is the thread that needs to continue through. And so I've made some very conscious decisions about markers throughout my career that I've wanted to keep going so that even if I was doing a different job in a different place or working in a different industry, there were some common threads. One that some people uh, may not realize was a very conscious decision on my part was the fact that I go by the name Joey. Now, my legal name is Charles Joseph Coleman III, nice and pretentious sounding. Uh, But for the exception of one year, it was an ill-fated year, uh, years ago, I've always gone by Joey. During that year, I went by Joe. It didn't stick. I went back to Joey. The crazy thing about going by Joey is when you hear the name Joey, you immediately think of one of a small category of people, either a small child under the age of 10, Joey Buttafuoco, Joey Lawrence, or Joey Tribbiani from Friends. I am okay being in the top four Joeys in your mind, and my hope is to elevate to be the number one Joey in your mind. So I think there's some things we can do around personal branding, just even by the way we refer to ourselves. 
Well, you are the number one Joey in my Aww, life, Joey. Oh, thanks. And it's interesting that you say that because when I was a child, I went by Danny. And uh, when I got to college, I introduced myself as Danny. And every person I introduced myself then turned around and called me Dan. And so it just kind of happened organically where I became Dan from Danny. Uh, and I, I feel great about that because now that's the one that I turn around to the most um, with my mom being the key, the core exception. She will never stop calling me Danny. Oh, I love uh, it. I got to spend more time hanging out with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Genghis. Exactly. But, um, you know, my background has also shaped my personal brand. I uh, came from corporate America and was there for almost 20 years and spent a decent amount of time at three major brands and had to build a personal brand that worked with those brands as well because I was often, before I became a, a full-time professional speaker and consultant, I was often speaking on behalf of those brands. So it was Dan Gingas from Discover, Dan Gingas from McDonald's, Dan Gingas from Humana. And so I had to represent the business brand or the corporate brand at the same time. And certainly some companies are more understanding of personal brand than others. I think the really forward-thinking companies get that ha their employees having personal brands is a good thing for the company um, because they get to be known as thought leaders in their own right, and then the company gets the halo effect versus sometimes the other way around where companies believe that you should lead with their own logo. But we all know that people trust and believe and find more credible their friends and their people they interact with in, in real life in the social world than they do companies. And so I uh, continued to build my personal brand um, as a thought leader, particularly in the social media space, because – I had to jump into that space having very little experience professionally. I remember the day that I got my Twitter account and I signed up was also the day that I was put in charge of the social media team at Discover. And I was like, well, I should probably figure this thing out and, uh, and joined Twitter. So however many tens of thousands of tweets later, uh, I'm clearly fully immersed. Nothing like learning on the job. You know, the interesting thing uh, about that is, and we joke about it a lot on the show, I have made the conscious decision not to invest a lot of time and effort into social media. And the reason I, you know, and Dan and I banter about this regularly as our listeners know, but one of the things that I think is important when you look at your personal brand is to really make it personal. Figure out the things that work for you. There are so many pundits and experts and advisors out there saying, well, if you are, want to build your personal brand, you have to have your own website. You have to be prolific on social media. You need your own YouTube channel, blah, 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 blah. No, not at all. You just need to do you. You need to figure out what is most important to you and what is most in alignment with the brand you're trying to create. Because let's be candid, in an increasingly transient economy where people are changing jobs, changing careers, maybe a dozen times over a lifetime, if not more, the only thing that's the same is you. The only thing that carries from one job to the next is you. And so if you're not taking the time to invest in your personal brand, I promise you, the career path is not going to be as fulfilling, as adventurous, as fun, and as results impacting as it could be if you did focus on your personal brand. So we recommend to everyone, go out and get the new book from 
Ryan Foland and Leonard Kim is called Ditch the Act, Reveal the Surprising Power of the Real You for Greater Success. And we can't wait to see your personal brands blossom. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.